0: Holy Spirit is going to teach us something beautiful tonight. The Holy Spirit hasn't stopped teaching simply because Paul has begun his concluding remarks. In fact, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us something beautiful, I think, if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. David said, I will give thanks to God for I am fearfully and wonderfully made I just want to give you a few worship-provoking facts about your human body. This is just free stuff. No charge for this. But I'm going to make an analogy between your human body and the body of Christ. So stay with me, if you would. Just just a couple of facts. I, I could stand up here a long time and because I, I'm really in awe of the genius of God in... Uh, the created human anatomy. But first, the, the brain. It weighs two and a half to three pounds, your average brain, probably some way less. Um, it contains 15 billion neurons. Each is a living unit within itself. It has over 100,000 billion electrical connections. That's your brain. Now, probably some brains have less connections than others. But your average brain has um, over... It's 10 to the 14th power. And if I got this quote right, it's more than all the electrical connections and all the machinery in the whole world. Now I want you to think about this. I want you to think how fearfully and uh, wonderfully you've been made. Each cubic inch contains a minimum of 100 million nerve cells interconnected by 10,000 miles of fiber. Yeah, I evolved from an amoeba. You bet. The human eye contains 130 million light-sensitive rods and cones. The rods and cones send one billion electrical impulses to the brain per second. The eye has automatic aiming, focusing, and maintenance. Only recently have biochemists begun to approach an understanding of how sight works on the molecular level. And I've shared this with you before, but just stay with me for a minute. Here's part of what's happening when you look at me. When the the light first strikes your retina, a photon interacts with a molecule called 11-cyst retinol, which rearranges within picoseconds to trans-retinol. Now, who knows what a picosecond is? It's really small. Very good, Tyler. It's actually, the way it's described for layman, uh, in layman's terms, is that it's uh, the time it takes light to travel the breadth of a single human hair. Okay picosecond. The change in the shape of the retinol uh, retinol molecule uh, forces a change in the shape of the protein rhodopsin to which the retinol is lightly bound, tightly bound. The protein's metamorphosis alters its behavior now called meta-rhodopsin 2. The protein sticks to another protein called transducin which interacts with a molecule called GDP blah 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 blah. Now it goes on for five more pages in, in Michael Behe's book uh, entitled, which I highly recommend to you, Michael Behe's book entitled Darwin's Black Box. Sight is a miracle, beloved. It's a miracle. The single cell. Let's talk about that for a second. Molec- mo- molecular biologist Michael Denton uh, describes the cell like this. The living cell is an object of unparalleled complexity and supreme technology. You ever thought about it like that? Now you know when Darwin was in the nineteenth century when Darwin was doing all of his postulating, they thought the cell was was very, very simple. but what we found out is it 's actually a, a mini factory. Let me just read just a few uh, quotes to you from uh, michael denton 's book. If you enter into the cell, he takes us on a virtual tour. If you enter into the cell through one of the million openings in the cell wall, you will see a highly organized uh, system of corridors and conduits branching in every direction. It would resemble an immense automated factory. We would, we would marvel at the level of control uh, implicit in the movement of so many objects down so many seemingly endless conduits in perfect unison. We would see all sorts of robot-like machines performing various functions. At the nucleus we would see the miles of coiled chains of in, uh, uh, DNA molecules stacked together in order to raise. We would notice the simplest of the functional components of the cell, the protein molecules, which are astonishing Astonishingly complex pieces of molecular machinery, each one consisting of about 3,000 atoms. Now, just so you get some scope here, the human body has about a 100 trillion cells in it, Denton says. Despite of our accumulated knowledge of physics and chemistry, the task of designing one such molecular machine, that is one functional protein molecule, is completely beyond the reach of man. Just one more, and I'll move on. DNA deoxyribonucleic acid. This is the program that builds you. This is the, the software that God put inside the cell, so the cell knows how to, how to build Jim Albright, or how, how, how to build a foie. This 100,000 gene software of the human body is resident within every cell. Um, it's estimated to contain instruction that, that instructions that would fill 600,000 pages of information. This is the information that contains the blueprints to build a human being. The DNA in your body is so narrow and compacted that if all the genes and all your body cells were put together, it would fit in an ice cube. However, if the DNA in your body was unwound and joined together end to end, it would, uh, the strands would stretch from the earth to the sun and back 400 times. David is right. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I could go on and on about the awesome design of the human body, but I'll stop. David is right. The human body uh, is mysteriously complex. Uh, it includes individual cells, genes, muscles, cartilage, bones, organs, vessels, nerves, skin, etc., etc., etc. It's tremendously diverse in the individual parts and functions, but there is an interrelatedness of the human body an interconnectedness an interdependency it functions as one it's supposed to function as one you know we've talked about this before but what does what does medicine call a mutant cell in the body that has gone rogue and no longer obeys the brain cancer Cancer. cancer I know some of you are saying, Jim, you talk to us about this stuff every once in a while, but what's this got to do with Colossians chapter 4? Yes, our human body is a worship-provoking, awesome creation. But the New Testament talks about another kind of body. And it also is a worship-provoking creation. It's the body of Christ. By the way... There's no Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament metaphor of the body of Christ. In the Old Testament, there are several metaphors that God uses to talk about His people. Um, there's a flock, there's a bride, and there's a vineyard. But, and all those are mirrored in the New Testament. But this metaphor of the body, the human body, it's brand new. It, this concept does not exist in the Old Testament. And you say, so what? So this This is our worship-provoking position in Christ. We are one in Christ. We are so one with Christ, we are like one human body. That's how one we are. You can't get more one than that. God is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying so much to us in this one metaphor. This is our worship-provoking function in Christ. We function as one in Christ. This is. The call of the church. If you want to, you can turn with me over to First Corinthians chapter twelve. First Corinthians chapter twelve. I'm just going to read a couple of verses there. Some of you are familiar with this text. First Corinthians chapter twelve. As I read it, I want you to listen for for one word that's going to be repeated in my translations uh, uh, six times. Okay. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse twelve. For even as the body is one and yet has many members. And all the members of the body, uh, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. What's the word you heard six times? There's another one. One. Beloved. You are called to be one. We are called to be one. You know, the Lord designed the human body in such an awesome way. But He's des- designed the body of Christ in an awesome way. And I think we take it for granted a lot. I don't think we think deeply about it. We are to be the body of Christ. Really. This is not just pretty theology. We are to be the body of Christ, we are to be one. One. You got to love it, I love it. The body of Christ is fearfully and wonderfully made. We are mirac- miraculous assemblage of diversity. Are we not to take to borrow some language from the, from the Bible? Jew, Greek, slave, free? to talk about other distinctions black, white, brown, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, white-collar, blue-collar, male, female, Italian, Nigerian, Filipino, American. We're to be one. And the world, you know, we've talked about this many times, the world doesn't really understand that. But we're called to be one. We're called to love each other. We're to have this interrelatedness, interdependency, interconnectedness. Doesn't matter what color we are. Doesn't matter what country we come from. Doesn't matter what gender we are. It doesn't matter. We're called to be one in Christ. It's an awesome thing. It's a fearful and wonderful thing that fallen men could be made one in Christ. We are diverse. We are many members. We have different functions, but we are designed to function as one body. Each member, listen. Each member doing its God-ordained job in the body. And that's what I'm going to challenge you with tonight. The God-ordained job, your God-ordained job in the body. Each member uh, fully functioning and contributing to the body of Christ I'm not gonna take time to read it but if you just keep reading there in first Corinthians chapter 12 this is what God says I'm just gonna summarize it for you God says I have sovereignly placed each member in the body just like I want him or her you got that you're here at the International Church of Milan right now because God has a purpose for you in this body this is no accident that we're here God has a purpose For you being here. God has a function for you to serve as you are here. He has put each member in the body just as He has desired. One member can never say to another member, I don't have need of you. I need you. You need me. This is the Word of God. Each each member's function is vital to the health of the whole body. You know, if if you take time off and don't provide your function to the body, the body suffers. The body suffers. If you're not doing uh, what God's called you to do in this body, if you're not using your gift in this body, beloved, you have some confessing and repenting to do. God's put you here. God's put you here to serve His body. This is the Lord's Word. And your function, beloved, it's vital. It's vital to the whole body. The body, all the members of the body are to cooperate in loyal concert with one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, we all rejoice. Every single member of the body is necessary. There is not one that is insignificant. If you think you are insignificant in this body or any other body you belong to, then you've bought into a lie. You are not insignificant. You are urgently needed. You are vitally important in the local church. Vitally important. And you need to be serving in the local church, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty seven. God says, Now you are Christ's body, and individually you are members of it. The foot is as important as the hand, which is as important as the ear, which is as important as the nose, which is as important as the eye, etc., etc., etc. Again, this is God's metaphor. God says to you, and He says to me, you're part of my body. Let me ask you, beloved, are you taking that serious? (laughs) Do you take it serious that you've been redeemed and placed in the local church as God has desired? Do you take that serious? Is that meaningful to you? Does that matter in your life that God has sovereignly placed you in this church? God says, I've sovereignly gifted you and placed you in my body. You have a specific function in my body and you're supposed to serve that function in my body. This is the Word of God to His church. So tonight, as we finish this beautiful book of Colossians, which I've really, really, really enjoyed, we're going to see a beautiful illustration of this truth as the Apostle Paul closes his letter to the Colossians. He's going to talk about these men that God has has put around him. And it's a beautiful lesson for us. It's a beautiful illustration for us. As we know, the Holy Spirit has used Paul to defend the, the sufficiency of Christ. Man-made religion is not only worthless, it is blasphemous. The second thing the Holy Spirit has done in this great little letter is He's encouraged us to radically live out our faith. He always makes the application and the Holy Spirit has made that application. If it's real with you, the Holy Spirit says, go out in the world and live it. And lastly, as Paul closes this letter with some concluding remarks, the Holy Spirit is still teaching. The Holy Spirit will teach us about being a member of the body of Christ. Paul was an amazing man, was he not? He was an amazing man. He was an apostle. He was was a missionary. He was a pastor. Uh, He was a theological giant. The Holy Spirit used him to write over half the New Testament. I mean, Paul was an astonishing man uh, in many regards. But beloved, he did not do it alone. He did not do it alone. First and foremost, God's hand was on him. But secondly, he had men and women around him who loved him and served him. He did not do it alone. No man ever does anything alone in the kingdom of God. God has arranged it thusly that we each need the other. So Paul was the most prominent member of the 1st century church, but he was surrounded by Christ-loving, Holy Spirit-filled, heaven-obsessed, servant-hearted, selfless men who made his ministry possible. 1 Corinthians 12.18, God says, I have placed each member of the body just like I want it. Just like I want it. And God has sovereignly appointed Paul as an apostle, and he sovereignly placed these men around Paul to love Him, to pray for Him, to encourage Him, to provide companionship and to minister to the churches at large. We've talked about this before many times. God's placed you in this body for a reason. And I just want to challenge you, beloved, to discover what it is God has you in this body to do. It's vital that you discover that because it's vital to me personally. It's vital to every, uh, every person here. So as we meet these men tonight, as we meet these men tonight uh, who humbly served Christ and His body in their God-ordained place, think about your God-ordained place in the church of Jesus Christ. Also in this local church. How has God placed you here and why? What is your gift? And what is your call? What is your necessary and vital function in this body? How are you obeying and honoring the head of the body, that being Jesus, in fulfilling your role? How are you loving and serving the members of this church uh, in that appointed task? God says, I place every member in the body just as I desire. So, beloved, God's put you here for a reason. I pray that you are serious about uh, knowing what that reason is and fulfilling it. God's brought you to ICM because ICM needs you. (laughs) God's brought you here because ICM needs you to be here. Again, I need you and you need me. The first man Paul mentions here is Tychicus. Tychicus. Look in verse seven and eight. Look what he says. Tychicus. Look what he says about him. He's a faithful servant. He's a fellow bond servant in the Lord. Any of you know how many times Tychicus's name is mentioned in Scripture? Huh? No. That's wrong. That's bad wrong. That's bad wrong. You don't know, do you? Have you ever how many of you have ever heard of this guy? Have any of you ever even heard of this guy? He's mentioned you're not going to believe it five times in Scripture. It was a shock to me. I didn't know either. Tyler, I didn't know either how many times he was he was in the scripture. I was shocked to find out he's in the Bible five times. You didn't even know his name, I bet, most of you and God put him in the scriptures 5 times. So what does he do? To warrant being mentioned in the Bible 5 times, look what it says right there in verse 7, he's a faithful servant. That's what he is. That's all that's all he does. He serves. He's not a great preacher, he's not a great theologian, he's not a church planter, he's not a pastor. He's a servant. God loves servants. God loves men and women who just serve. He put him in the Bible five times. He just serves. That's all He does. That's His God-ordained position in the body to be a servant. And that's what He does. Let it please God to mention Him five times in Scripture. Tychicus has been with Paul for a long time. We see him back in Acts chapter 20, verse 4 when Paul's going to Jerusalem to take the offering to to the needy church there. And Paul was trying to build up some camaraderie and unity between the Gentiles and the Jews, right? And so he wanted to take this offering to the needy Jews in Jerusalem from the Gentile church. He knew that would go a long way to, to build unity. But he also wanted to take some Gentiles with him. Uh, from, the, from the various churches in Europe and Asia Minor to cement that relationship. Tychicus was one of those guys that went with Paul to Jerusalem. Now, you know he had something better to do than to, to, be, do, to take an arduous journey uh, from Asia Minor down to, down to, to uh, Judea. You know he did. But Paul needed him to go. He went. You know he had a busy life. You know he probably had a family. He had a, may have had a business. He had a job. He went. He went. He served Paul in this way. He served the church in this way. He served the Lord Jesus in this way. Look what he says. Paul says, He is a fellow bondservant in the Lord. Now you know what bondservant means, right? You know what it means? It just means, it just means I'm a voluntary slave. It means, it means I give myself away. And, and Tychicus had given himself away to the Lord Jesus. And God assigns him to Paul. Tychicus, he's just, he just serves. Whatever Paul needs, that's what he does. Actually, Tychicus takes this letter this uh, letter to the Colossian church uh, from Rome to Asia Minor. Another difficult journey from Rome to, to uh, Asia Minor. Paul says, I need somebody to take this letter. Tychicus says, I'll go. He's a servant. That's all he does, he serves. And God is delighted. Look what else it says, verse 8 He's an encourager. How many of you need to be encouraged? Man, that's one thing we all can do. You can always encourage. Man, I have people encourage me. People that are long gone from this church. And I'll get an email from them. And they'll just say, Hey, it was great when we were there. We love you. We're praying for you. It makes my day. It makes my day. I need to be more encouraging to you. You need to be more encouraging to me. We need to encourage one another. Paul says, Man, this guy's always encouraging me. He's always encouraging me. Look at verse 9. We meet. Onesimus. You guys know the story, I presume. Onesimus is a runaway slave from uh, Philemon. And and Philemon's probably, uh, the church in Colossae probably meets in his house. And Onesimus, he's a runaway slave from uh, Philemon. And uh, guess what happens in God's providence? He runs into Paul in Rome. Now, what are the odds? What are the odds, right? What are the odds? Paul leads Philemon to uh, Christ. Oh, and then in Rome, he leads Onesimus to Christ. And then he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. Now, under the law, uh, Philemon could have Onesimus killed for being a runaway slave. And Paul, you, you, you can go read it for yourself, that beautiful letter of Philemon. And Paul says, Receive him as a brother in Christ. This is a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, you should go read the you should go read Philemon. It's a beautiful, beautiful text. But what we see here in Onesimus' life, what I want to point out to you is his submission to the word of God and to the leadership of God. It could cost him his life to go back. Paul says, You go back. It pleases God for you to go back. And Paul is the leader of the church. And Onesimus submits to the Word of God, the authority of God, and to the leader of God. This is pleasing to the Lord. This is no small thing for Onesimus to go back. It could cost him everything. Beloved, you and I as Christians, we are called to submit to the authority of the Word of God. It doesn't matter how much it looks like it's going to cost. And we are all called to submit to the godly Biblical leadership of the local church. This is real, genuine, authentic, biblical Christianity. Submission to the the Word of God and to the authority that God has established. Paul also calls Onesimus, he calls him a faithful and beloved brother. There is some extra biblical material. There's, There's a couple of letters outside the Bible that scholars have discovered. It appears that Onesimus... Probably became ultimately the pastor of the church at Colossae, isn't that awesome? <laughs> you gotta love Christianity, man. You gotta runaway slave. If he becomes the pastor. God gifts him and God places him in that place. Look at verse ten. We meet Aristarchus. He's just another one of those guys. How many times do you think he's mentioned in the Bible, Tyler? One. That's wrong, huh? That's right. Five is right. Way to go. Five is right. You didn't know it. You never heard of this guy. Come on, be honest. How many of you ever heard of this guy? He's mentioned in the Bible five times. He's just like Tychicus. He's a servant. He's a servant. He's just loving and serving Paul. That's who he is. He's just one of those guys that's always there. He's one of those guys that shares your burden. He's one of those guys that come alongside. He's one of those guys that perform simple acts of service to make your life a little easier. He's one of those guys that that lends an ear. He's one of those guys that just provides companionship. He's just one of those guys that's really the glue of the whole church. If you don't have these guys, you don't have a church. You can't have a church. If you don't have guys like that who are just glue, who just love, who just love uh, their brothers and sisters and just serve them, that's what he did. That's what he did. Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. You can read it for yourself. You can read through the book, book of Acts. Apparently, this guy shared several imprisonments with Paul throughout the years. He just hung out with Paul, even if Paul was in prison. He served Paul. He's just a guy that gave himself away to Jesus. Through thick and thin freedom and imprisonment, he gave himself first to Jesus and then he gave himself to Jesus as apostle. And the only reason we know his name is because it pleased God to put it into Scripture. God loves servants. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. God means it. God means it. God loves a servant. He loves a servant heart. Look at verse 10. Mark. You guys know the story, I presume. Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. It got kind of tough up there in Asia Minor. Mark bolted for Mom. He went went back to Mama, back in Jerusalem, right? And of course, this, this pleased Paul quite a bit. And so when they're getting ready to go on their second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to take John Mark again. Paul says, "There's no way I'm taking that kid. He he bailed on us last time, and I'm not going to take him this time." So you remember that Paul and Barnabas separate. So Paul takes um, who does he take? He takes Silas, and Barnabas takes John Mark. How encouraging is this for you and me? How encouraging is this for you and me? John Mark, just like Peter, failed early on. He failed. But what is it? What can Christians do when they fail? They can get back up, they can repent and they can do what? Serve the Lord. Amen. Mightily. This is what John Mark did. Of course, you know what, what awesome privilege that God gave Mark to write one of the four gospels in the Bible. This was a man who failed, his first time out. He failed. Don't you love Christianity? <laughs> don't you love grace? Don't you love forgiveness? Don't you love mercy? Don't you love you can be clean today? It's all gone in Christ. You can be clean today. John Mark, that's history. Why don't you write one of my gospels? Why don't you write one of my gospels? I love. I, I love. You gotta love Christianity, man. I love this. This is so beautiful. And in second Timothy chapter 4 Paul talks about now how useful Mark has become to him. He failed early on but he repented. He got back up and he obeyed the Lord. Slaves become pastors and failures repent and they become scripture writers, Bible writers. I mean, you got to love Christianity. Look at verse 11, Paul mentions justice. He's from the circumcision. He's a Jew. Paul says he's a fellow worker in the kingdom of God and an encouragement. He's like some of the others. We've never heard of this guy, but God's heard of this guy, and God loves this guy. He's a servant. We would have never heard of him, but God wants his name in Scripture forever. And there it is. He's a servant. God has placed justice in the body just as it pleased him, and it pleased God for for justice to serve Paul. And that's what he did. He just humbly served Paul. And you know what, beloved? It wasn't easy to be a Jew and hang out with Paul. Right? To hang out with Paul, to be a Jew and hang out with Paul, you had to basically forsake everything uh, that you know. Because you would be excommunicated. Your your, your, Your family would cut you off and probably all of your friends would cut you off. He had to pay a high price to hang out with Paul and to profess Jesus Christ. But he was willing to pay that price. He was willing to pay that price. It pretty much cost him everything, but he paid that price. He loved Jesus and he loved the body of Christ and he served the body of Christ. Verses 12 and 13. We see a papyrus... Paul has already mentioned to Papyrus once. You may remember back over at chapter 1, verse 7, apparently, Papyrus planted the church in Colossae. This is, this is subjection, but it, it, it appears that possibly he, he planted the church. Verse 1, uh, chapter 7, Paul writes about him that he's a fellow bondservant and a, and a faithful servant of Christ chapter 4 verse 12 here it says he's a bond slave of Jesus obviously this guy's sold out he just he's just sold out to Christ let me ask you beloved have you sold out have you done that transaction with God are you still hanging back these guys just sold out they just sold out to the Lord and look how he's loving the body. Look how he loves the body. What does it say he's doing? Someone tell me. How is he loving the body? Pray. He's praying for the body. How many of you are praying for this church? Earnestly. I still remember a couple years ago, Tom. I was preaching about praying and stuff, you know. And I was really worked up about it. I said, you know what? I'd rather you go home and pray for, pray for this church earnestly and for the future of this church and all that God wants to accomplish in this church I'd rather you do that than put $1,000 in the offering plate. You know what? God put $1,000 in the offering plate that night. I mean, it was, just, it was just like He was saying, I'll do both. I'll call my people to pray, and I'll give you a huge offering. I mean, we don't normally get that kind of offering in the offering plate. So, uh, But look what He does. He prays earnestly for the church. The literal meaning here, his prayer is intense, it's persevering, it's fervent. And look what he's praying for the church. He says that the church may stand perfect, that means mature, and fully assured, that means confident, in all the will of God. Man, I hope you guys are praying that for this humble little body. I hope you're praying that beloved icm is going into really uncharted waters we've never been this small before except from the very beginning we've never been this small before as we enter the the fall except from the very beginning so we need to be crying out to the lord to glorify himself in this church and that we would be uh, mature and confident to do all the will of God. Look at verse 14. Luke is with Paul. You guys know Luke. He's the beloved physician, as Paul calls him. No doubt, you know, he's become Paul's uh, personal physician. No doubt, Paul needs him. Uh, when you take into account all the beatings and whippings and stonings that Paul frequently encountered, no doubt he needed Luke to be around. And hey, Luke is an educated man. He could have had a much simpler life. He could have had a more manageable life. He could have had a more comfortable life. But what? He's sold out to Christ. He's hanging out with Paul. He's traveling around. He's hanging out with Paul. He's comforting Paul in prison. Man, Luke could have had a much simpler and easy life. But look what he's doing. He's ministering to Paul. God has put Luke in the body just as He pleased him to do so. He's assigning to Paul, and that's what Luke is doing. Luke is ministering to Paul. He gave his profession and himself to Jesus. And it doesn't matter who, what, when, where, or why. Whatever the Lord calls him to do, that's what he does. Let me ask you, beloved, is that how it is in your life with Jesus? It doesn't matter who, what, when, where, or why. If God calls you to do a thing, you do it. You do it. you got to love this guy. One other point I want to make here. Some of you know this. Some of you don't. But you never know what's going to happen when you give yourself away to Jesus. We touched on this last week, and I touch on it now and again. When you'll stop trying to manage your own life, and give it away to God, really cool stuff starts to happen. Stuff that you could never have imagined. Things that you could have never dreamt of will happen in your life and around your life. You'll find out that all your personal dreams were way too small. Because God has these huge dreams for you. right? And Luke, Luke abandons himself to Christ. And oh, guess what? Luke ends up writing a Gospel and the book of Acts. He, I'm sure he could have never imagined that, he, that, that this privilege would fall to him. But there he is, one of the authors of Scripture. What an awesome thing. I just want to give personal testimony. If you'll stop trying to manage your own life and just give it to the Lord it'll be more fun. <laughs> it'll be more fun. We're almost finished. Look at uh, verse 14. Paul mentions Demas. Now some of you know about Demas, right? Jesus had Judas. Paul had Demas. And every church that's ever existed has dealt with the reality of terrors among The wheat. Of course, the term tares comes from Jesus' parable. In Matthew 13, tares represent false Christians. I presume that all of you know that. Those who profess to be Christians for a time and even appear to be genuine for a time, but in the end they are shown to be counterfeit. How, How are false Christians always ultimately shown to be counterfeit? By their actions. By their fruit. That's right, D. By their, by, their, by their lives. Their lives ultimately betray. It doesn't really matter. They may still be professing Christ, but their lives have betrayed the fact that they don't love Him and they don't love His body. It's always in the fruit, as D was saying. Jesus said, a tree will be known by its fruit. It's that simple. It's that simple. And Demas, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. Has deserted me. So, in closing, beloved, in closing, let me ask you a question. Imagine asking Jesus what He wants you to be when you grow up. Imagine asking Him this question. Imagine putting this question to the King of kings and Lord of lords. How do you think He would answer that? How do you, what do you think He would say? What do you think the Lord would say? We already know what He would say. If we studied our Bibles, He has already given us the answer beyond any shadow of a doubt. It's mentioned four times in the Gospels. I know exactly what the Lord Jesus would say to you and what He would say to me. He would invite us into greatness. The Greek word is megas. I took a little time, I looked up the, the Greek uh, in a Greek lexicon. The Greek word megas it means great. And this is the kind of life that Jesus is calling you and I to. A, a, a life with mass, with weight, with height, with breadth, with depth, with power, with import, uh, a. a A a large life, a grand life, an abundant life, a life uh, mighty in deeds, a life highly esteemed, a life wide open to receiving the preeminent blessing of God. You know what kind of life I'm talking about? Does anyone want to guess? A life of being a servant. This is what Jesus says in the Gospels four times. It's what He says four times in the Gospels. He says, if you want to be great what be a servant be a servant i'm just going to turn real quick matthew 20 i'm just going to read it to you matthew 20 25 to 28 jesus says you know that the rulers of the gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them it is not so among you but whoever wishes to become great whoever wishes to be megas among you shall be your servant And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus says, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall become like a slave, shall become like a servant. Do you hear it, church? Do you hear it? Are you living it? Are you a bond slave? Could it be written of you? Uh, You are a bond slave of Jesus Christ. You have given yourself wholly and completely away to Him. And you are loving His body with abandon in a selfless way. Like Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Justus, and Epaphras. These guys you never heard of. But God knows who they are. They are servants. And they have an inheritance that is imperishable and unfathomable. A reward that God has prepared for them because they simply serve the body of Christ. you got to love it, man. I love this text. They are megas in God's eyes. Men who just gave themselves away to Jesus. And I'm just going to close with a verse here. The Creator, Redeemer, God Loves a servant Matthew twenty five thirty five to forty. Just listen, just listen. These are the words of the king. Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and And you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these, my brothers, even the least of them. What does he say? Someone tell me. You've done it to me. That's how God loves servanthood. When you do it to to, to my body, you've done it to me. You've done it to Jesus. Jesus. When you love someone in the body, you're loving Jesus. When you serve someone in the body, you're serving Jesus. When you give to someone in the body, you're giving to Jesus. Man, that's how God sees it. That's how God sees it. I love it. King Jesus says, Whoever gives even a cup of water to one of my own, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. So beloved... If you're a Christian tonight, I call you to love and serve this body. This is the Word of God. I call you to love and serve this body. To love and serve one another. To encourage one another. To come alongside one another. To to listen. To provide companionship. Whatever the need is, meet the need. If there's a need, meet the need. This is our call as Christians. Let's pray together. thank you for this text. I thank you for what I learned here. I know it's a text that probably is rarely preached, rarely taught, rarely studied. But the Holy Spirit is teaching us a beautiful thing here. Paul is an amazing man. And what he accomplished was amazing, but he did not do it on his own. There was a network of people around him loving him and serving him a network of people that you sovereignly placed there and oh lord I, I pray that we would hear what the spirit is saying to us tonight i pray that we would take serious our stewardship before you the gifts that we have the resources we have the time we have that we would be giving it to the body that we would be loving the body with it that christ would be honored with it that uh, the body would be edified in it and encouraged and built up and strengthened. Lord, I pray we would hear what You're saying to us. I think it might be life-changing for some of us if we begin to think and live like this. Lord, thank You for telling us about these simple men who merely served. Because that's what You called us to do. You tell us that that is the megas life. That is the great life. A life of service. A life of being a servant. Lord, I pray You would help us to understand that and have that mindset. As You know, it runs alien to our natural flesh to serve anyone other than ourselves. But Holy Spirit, have Your way with us, we pray. Help us to be a people who love and serve each other and thereby love and serve You. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.